The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us again here in prison from his own podcast, Cosmic Geppetto, from his own movie by minute podcast, Army of Darkness Minute, and from another movie by minute podcast that he co-hosted with me, Flash Gordon Minute, it's our producer, Brad Mendenhall. Hey, everybody. Uh, yes, I'm... I'm- I'm still in jail, but the ball gag's been removed. So perfect. <laughs> Ollie, I told you to keep that ball gag on him for at least another week. God, I've heard that so many times. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, welcome back, Brad. Welcome back to talking. Really, uh, really excited to be back. It's very fun. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, I, I don't. I don't guest on minute by minutes very often anymore because uh, times at a at a premium. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I was uh, very. I, I knew I definitely got to do this because I'm having too much fun listening to you guys and just to uh, have a chance to properly join the conversation is uh, is awesome. So uh, you know, I, I'm glad to be on the other side of the microphone this week. Well, Yay! We most very much excited to have you on the side of the microphone as well. And of course, as Molly and I have mentioned at various points throughout the show uh, there would be no escape from new york minute without you we, we of course severely from the deepest of our prison filled hearts appreciate and thank you for everything you, you do for this show mm-hmm. yes yes there's a deep gratitude for i mean brad pretty much keeps the glue of this together so if you could get a Brad, it would be awesome for those of you who podcast. <laughs> if you can get a Brad. <laughs> you can't, folks. <laughs> the store's all out. Yeah, Brad is the, uh, the the gem at the end of our adventure that no one else <laughs> have but us. He's our, he's our sexy princess in the tower that we're keeping, Woo. so. <laughs> well, here we are in minute 14. <laughs> Transition that one, Eric. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Brad, put your clothes back on, please. It just so uh, happens I was wearing a sparkly gown. I don't even know how she knew that, but all right. Uh, the minute starts with Gabby. Gabby? Oh, God. Cabby continuing to explain who the Duke is, and the minute ends with Cabby and Snake approaching a large building. Now, I have to start this minute out by saying that Snake doesn't quite say my favorite line in the movie here, but he says a line that's very close to it that is setting up my favorite line in the movie when he says, I want to meet this Duke. And uh, so when, when he actually says the line that is my favorite, we'll get to it soon. But uh, I just, it's, it's, you know, everyone's got lines from movies from their childhood that stick out that maybe don't necessarily make any sense. Why there's no rhyme or reason to it, but uh, this line has always been, a line that I just love the way that Snake says it. I love the Kurt Russell delivery of it. It's just a, a classic line to me. And you guys don't have to comment at all if you want to. That, that's an Eric Deutsch thing. <laughs> uh, but what I do want you to comment on, though, is 
Cabby starts explaining to him that you can't meet him. You meet him once and then you're dead. So what are the logistics of how the Duke puts together his team if once you meet him, then you're dead? Or how does he get pizza delivered? <laughs> what are other, lo- there seems to be other logistical things in his life that that wouldn't be very real, I guess. There's got to be some prime henchmen that were like grandfathered into the pre-murder on the first meet. Mm. Mm. And, and there must be the ones getting the pizza. <laughs> By the way, that's that's just got to be a rough job in general. I don't think being a police, a pizza delivery guy in modern New York is easy, much less, you know, this particular version of the city. So I don't think they expect most pizza boys to come back. Mm. I, I, I would be afraid to even know what a pizza is made out of in this version. Oh, yeah. A lot of rat pizza. <laughs> Oof. I mean, what is the cheese made from? What is the sauce made from? I don't even want to know where the bread comes from. Uh, maybe someone's making some sort of illegal bathtub cheese, you know? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fun and games until we talk about the bathroom cheese. Wow. <laughs> so we have our our next song uh from the soundtrack here and this is the shortest song on the soundtrack it comes in at only a minute six if you have the soundtrack it's called arrival at the library and i gotta say boy does this one listen sound a lot like the halloween main theme oh my god it totally does actually i listened to it and i was like shit, that sounds like the Halloween theme. And then I went and found it online, and I was like, oh my god, it's basically like a disco club synth version of the Halloween theme. Especially the first 10, 15 seconds or so. Yeah, absolutely. There's just limitations to uh, the Carpenter. Uh, What he does, he does very well, but there ain't a whole lot of tricks in that particular hat. Right. (laughs) So it's like, let's just change the key a little. It, It almost sounds like like when you're watching a TV show and they obviously don't have the rights to the George Michael song, so they just play something that sort of sounds like the George Michael song. It's like, mm. eh, imagine being the guy almost singing George Michael music. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You know, this, this sound alike. And, and I actually, um, it's funny, I actually have a friend who has worked, uh, very talented musician, um, uh, Brad Hewitt, a uh, real nice guy, and he w- did uh, music work for different advertising campaigns, and it would always be a thing. It's like, okay, we want a song that sort of sounds like Led Zeppelin's Cashmere, but uh, different enough that we don't get sued. And that was his job was it, he wasn't even making the music in this w- one particular case. He was just like listening to the different samples they came up with and then comparing it to the actuals, like is it the same beat, is it the same key, what's the chord progression, and saying, he's like, no, this will get you sued a lot. And no, this one will not get you sued at all. So there's um, mm. a real art to that, to, to sort of trick people's brains into thinking it's the same thing, but it's different enough where it's not legally actionable. And this is almost like him making a not legally actionable version of his own song. Which reminds me, we haven't uh, mentioned in uh, a few episodes. Uh, let's just give a quick shout out since we're on this topic. KJ Valencic, who did our show's theme song specifically meant to evoke the music from this movie without actually being the music from this movie. Oh, yeah. KJ's awesome. We've been lucky enough where he's done music for Cosmic Geppetto, and uh, it was brilliant when you asked him to do this, because 
uh, he's so good at so many different genres, and he listened to the he listened to the theme and sort of figured out the beats and how to get the right feel. So it was uh, it, it, yeah. It, w- one of the things I do, folks, when I edit, I'm the one who slaps the intro and outro music on every episode, and I always love make it, it, it's I always love the sound of it and uh, how it fades in and uh, it fades out. Um, I, I I love his music. KJ does a great job. I think it's a huge grace to be able to get somebody. You know, to be able to to craft music specifically for you. I mean, that's quite a talent to be able to you know interpret not only you know the the confines of this being a podcast, and so you're you know using it for a specific medium, but to interpret it for not only from a movie itself, and but to get the you know the the sense of the movie musically. It's it's yeah, he's he's a talented dude. We're very appreciative. So, uh, getting back to the minute, um, talk a bit about. Cabby's cab here. He says that he hates to leave her on the street after he and Snake get out and start walking towards this big building. And he says, "Usually I don't leave her alone at all," which just made me wonder where the cab was when he was at the Broadway show because mm-hmm. obviously he did not have the cab inside the theater with him. And uh, who knows? Probably writers just weren't thinking that far. It was obviously a thing of trying to give you the idea of of the Cabby just eating, sleeping drinking in this car at all times and you look at Ernest Borgnine you believe it (laughs) (laughs) that's a guy who could live in his vehicle yeah I don't know that these guys have access to a whole lot of shampoo or you know I don't know tide or what a tide pods to be able to clean their own stuff up but yeah I also got that impression if he's like I don't even like leaving the car alone and I don't like leaving it parked anywhere that you know maybe he is just actually living out of it He's one of those characters where it wouldn't make sense if they had some if, if there was a scene of him parking the cab going into his apartment turning on TV reading the paper it wouldn't look right at all This is not somebody who should have an external life. He should only exist in the cab helping. Um, and and th- that should just be what he is. No, you can sort of see him cabby just every day. And any t- time or day or night, you, you could be one of those characters where if this was a movie that took the course over two weeks instead of the short time span that it has, you could see him like every time Snake walks out, there's cabby ready. Like that's just what he is. He's just always there, always ready. And mm-hmm. Uh, that that fits into his sort of I know everything and I know everybody thing that he called out in the last minute. Speaking of shots that take forever, this is a guy. We start breaking <laughs> something down minute by minute. This is another glorious minute where you've got I don't know fifteen twenty seconds of just a long shot of like we're just walking away from the car. We're still walking away from the car. They have a little bit of dialogue here, and this is where uh, Ernest Borgnine talks about you know I really don't like to leave her on the street. But yeah, it's again, this is kind of the long shot that I was talking about last minute, uh, where this would be something that normally maybe wouldn't even necessarily need to be here at all. Um, And actually, I don't know that this particular little bit of dialogue is even necessary to the story per se. We probably in modern times for an edit would probably just have cut this portion out and just had them at the library. But yeah, this is, uh, I, 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 appreciate still that there's this artistic pacing here where at least you do get this little context of the life that they live there that it's enough that you do have to be fearful that 
you know, any type of precious possession, i.e. a taxi cab, really does need to be protected intelligently and at all costs. And that he's also expressing here that uh, he values snake enough that he's willing to basically put his most treasured possession and potentially his home on the line for him. And some info about uh, Cabby's Taxi. This is a 1974 Checker Taxi Cab. And this specific model has, has gotten a lot of use over the years in TV and movies. Uh, it was in DC Cab, which is a movie I watched incessantly growing up. It was used in, yeah, it was used in the TV show Taxi, which is not a surprise there. But the biggest thing of all, this is the taxi model that hits Kermit in the Muppets Take Manhattan, giving Kermit amnesia and caught leading to the whole third act of that movie. <laughs> You love the Muppets. That's awesome. <laughs> That's how you met your wife, right? Uh, yes, yes, that is true. We have what? the Muppets to thank for our marriage and our children. That is true, yes. How did the Muppets get involved with that? <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> uh, people who were around at the beginning of days of the internet may remember a website called Friendster that really probably the owner is probably very depressed when he sees how rich Mark Zuckerberg is these days mm. with Facebook because it was basically Facebook before there was Facebook but much less user friendly and much less popular and no one really knew was it for making friends was it for making dates was it for just chatting with people you knew it was kind of didn't know what it wanted to be well you could list your interests and you could click on an interest in your profile and it would show you lists of other people that had the same interest and my wife must have clicked on the word Muppets because I received a message from her one day that said, hello, fellow Muppet fan. And uh, I responded, and uh, here we are 15 years later. Oh, my God. The Muppets brought you together. That's yep. amazing. So basically, Jim Henson is responsible for your children? Is yes, that absolutely. <laughs> I, I, and we've told them that. We've said, when you watch The Muppet Show... Jim Henson wasn't for him. You guys wouldn't be watching the Muppet Show. Right now. Wow, that's really cool. That, that's better than saying it's like Nomad Dog 2020. You guys wouldn't be here. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! If that CBS had stayed open until eleven instead of ten, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's <that's> true. <laughs> Oh I was wondering, well, some other, what are, what you, I have a list here, I wonder what you guys might think of, I, I know I'm throwing this at you, but other movies that have cool cab scenes or cool taxi driver scenes, I mean, I already mentioned DC Cab, of Constantine. course. Constantine! <laughs> Say it again? Constantine. Constantine? Yes. Uh, God, another movie that you've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> Keanu Reeves, uh, based on the comic book Hellraiser. Oh, I, I've heard of it. I've just never seen it. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. Brad, Brad, Brad. <laughs> you listen, I'm assuming you listen because you're the one that edits our show. Uh, I mean, you you know that as soon as Molly mentioned it, there was no way. I'd seen it. The the only other uh, one I can think of with like a real cab related plot line that comes to mind is Total Recall. Right. Oh yeah, and, and that's, that's a good one. Two, and that's got two cabs because there's the robot Johnny cab and then. Benny, the turncoat cab driver, later on in the movie. And Benny's basically Cabby's evil doppelganger, right? Yeah. He, he's basically filling the same role, except for it turns out he's, uh, you know, not on the side of angels. Spoiler alert for a very old movie. 
I mean, Scrooge has Buster Poindexter playing uh, the ghost who's a cab driver. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, this is a little more futuristic, but Fifth Element. That's a good one. Uh, you, have you seen Fifth Element, Eric? No. <laughs> Oh, have Christ you not? Sake. Seriously? <laughs> Holy shit, Eric. I, is it just like Muppets and your lady? Is that like it? Is that like it? <laughs> well, you know, you've never mentioned a Marvel movie. You've never mentioned a Star Wars movie. you never mentioned a Hitchcock movie. And, you know, you're just not hitting my uh, my highlights. Has everybody seen them? <laughs> no. Yes, everyone's seen them, and Eric is leading the charge. Oh, my God. Some. Can you take a picture? Do you guys have, like, DVDs or... Blu-rays yeah. at home? Okay. Yeah, tons of can them, you sure. just take a picture of that and just email it to me? And then I can just know eh. what it is uh, you guys yeah. are watching. Sure. I got them all crammed <laughs> in a cabinet, but I'll take them out and take a picture. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> then I can reference that. <laughs> uh, a few others. There's a, there's a cool cab scene in Pulp Fiction after Butch uh, escapes from the boxing match. And there's he has that weird conversation with the taxi driver. Uh, Stripes, the beginning of the movie, Bill Murray's character, the taxi driver, has a hysterical scene with the old woman. He starts taking her picture. Yeah, hits him in the balls with, with her suitcase. And he's like, <laughs> oh, my balls. It's just such a funny scene. <laughs> uh, and, of course, if you're talking about taxi movies, I mean, you kind of have to mention Taxi Driver. Right, right. That's a good list. That's a good list. It's... Uh... Was there? Yeah, that's all I'm coming up with. I I never liked taxi scenes in in movies. It, it would because often it was just a cheap joke. Uh, I remember the one. It, what was it in one of the Naked Gun movies? The the joke was they go from taxi to taxi to taxi trying to get like them to call the police and nobody speaks English. Uh, that all joke. And then they get to the final car and there's a very austere-looking uh, African-American gentleman with, like, uh, 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 tribal garb on. And it's like, oh, never mind. And then they walk away. And then, of course, the gentleman's like, I wonder what was up with that, uh, with a posh British accent. So there's a lot of that sort of foolishness. And then in, in other media, of course, Harry Chapin, the singer-songwriter from the 70s, had a very famous song called Taxi. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, Molly, you probably don't know that one, right? So I don't. I say, yeah. Okay, no, I get, I guess. I mean, are you talking? Didn't it? Wasn't there a couple? He's the he's the cats in the cradle guy. Okay. And he sang the song about how he picked up his ex girlfriend. Yeah. And then at the end, he's like, and she's going on with her life, and I'm getting high. Yeah, that's taxi. Adam Carolla talks about that song all the time, and I I, I heard him rant about it on the Adam Carolla show. Oh, interesting. So, Brad, what's, um, let, let our listeners know what your history with this movie is. I remember distinctly, not even the first time I saw the movie, I remember when, the first time my parents saw the movie, um, because as we talked about, Flash Gordon and my family were early adopters of cable. Uh, we were the, uh, where we lived, we got very poor signal, and when cable came through their area, they jumped right on it. And I just remember being in another room, and my mom exclaiming he's like they cut off his finger i was like well i gotta see this now and uh yeah i've watched it plenty of times um and kurt russell gives such a great performance and this is 
And it was something I, I was talking about with uh, Scott Corelli from uh, Dueling Genre. Uh, he and I were talking about Keanu Reeves, of all people, how Keanu Reeves is one of very few actors who has three iconic characters in his career. Uh, you know, Ted from Bill and Ted's, Neo, and now John Wick. And when you think about it, I mean, if you're lucky, you get one. And this is really Kurt Russell's iconic character. He, he has... Maybe you can make an argument for White Earp, but it was almost that movie was almost just stolen by Val Kilmer, where Tombstone felt like a Val Kilmer movie instead of a Kurt Russell movie. Never seen Tombstone either, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I feel better. <laughs> Kurt Russell, this is his character. He's had a really neat career because. Uh, this is a guy who is still beloved, and he's he's, he's got to be in his 60s now. And he's still getting great work, um, but he was never the guy. He was always like two, three steps down from the big A-list star. So he would be, he would play supporting roles in a Mel Gibson movie, uh, or you know, stuff like that. Like, he would be in, I don't want to say he was in B, he would star in B-movies, but he didn't star in the big summer blockbuster. It was always the movie that came out in the spring that had half the budget and half the expectations. (laughs) Um, But, you know, God bless him. He's been able to ride that out for a 40-year career. I mean, longer than that, starting with the Disney stuff. Um, He's a great journeyman, workman actor, um, and he sort of can do it all, although you don't think of him as any one particular thing. He's done comedies. He's done Overboard and Captain Ron. Uh, but he's not a comedic actor. He's not Jim Carrey. Um, he can do action stuff like Snake and Tango and Cash, but you don't really think of him as like one of the body guys. He's not Schwarzenegger or Stallone or even Van Damme, who has this amazing physique. Um, he's done dramatic stuff, but you don't. He, he doesn't get nominated for Oscars. He's just a guy, like a hardworking guy that's sort of likable, and has been able to turn that into an amazing career that's outlasted a lot of those other people. I mean, he's still starring in movies. While you know Mel Gibson's doing directed DVD stuff because of his own personal foibles and yeah, I was about to say Kurt Russell never uh, went on a rant against a whole religion. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, you know I, I I've always enjoyed the movie and it's it's Kurt Russell's signature role and it's sort of crazy because it's it's had one really you almost count it as one and a half movies. You have Escape from New York and then sort of this almost Snake Plissken movie with Escape from L.A. And, um, but, but aside from the fact that, and it wasn't a massive hit, uh, but somehow it just sort of caught on and part of it is the great look. And, you know, this went, when God forbid the day that Kurt Russell dies, this is going to be the first movie listed. The first role listed is like brought Snake Plissken to life because, uh, aside from that, yeah, he, he played Wyatt Earp in Tombstone and otherwise it's just a lot of sort of medium successful movies that he's done a lot of i mean really his biggest movie is guardians of the galaxy 2 where he was the bad guy right and that's and he's he's the bad guy and i mean he's not the main star and it's a sequel so right (sighs) (laughs) wow the rant has the rant has exhausted brad i know i know i'm like okay i can do this this is this is why i'm not this is why i'm the producer folks and not the host i like it breathless talking about this stuff well, I'm not. I'm not going to let you catch your breath because I'm going to hit you with another question that ties in Army, your Army of Darkness podcast, to this one. 
I, I want to know what would have happened if our 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 favorite bootlicker of this movie, Romero, got a hold of the Necronomicon. Oh boy, that is a fantastic question. It, it, it's, I think, it just would have turned, it would have just turned into a five minute movie. Like, <laughs> it's bad enough when Ash gets hold of the Necronomicon. He's enough of an idiot. But when you have a toady like that, uh, every everything would just go dark. Everyone would get eaten. Like <laughs> uh, this, this would now be the short in front of a movie instead of an actual movie. It's like Escape from uh, it would be just Escape from New York, not quite. And he gets the book. He's like, hey, look at this. Starts reading it. He's like, and we're all dead. And also, I think the, ne- the Necronomicon in this world would be so different because. Being a prop in a pseudo-comedy horror movie, they get to play around with the fun stuff. In this grittier film, um, The Dead Rising is a much worse scenario. You know, you wouldn't have the Necronomicon, especially in Army of Darkness, which was, uh, you know, the movie that we did Men in the Darkness about, the third of the Evil Dead, where it really leaned into the comedy aspects, where... I mean, half of it was joking, you know, the flying Necronomicons, the one that sucked Ash into the book, and all that funny stuff. No, this is this is dark, dark stuff. Uh, it has no room for that sort of foolishness. So it, it would uh, it'd be a shorter movie. Although I think it would be pretty funny to have that scenario, but have an entire movie set here. I mean, you'd have to have it comedic. Like we couldn't have it as heavy handed as we have it here. But I would be very curious to see what would happen of a whole army of the dead against just the lunatics in in Manhattan Island and them trying to band together and and deal with the situation would be enormously amusing. You know, that's really true. And I do like the, the movies or TV shows or wherever, where you have the, the feuding factions and then the, uh, to use game of Thrones, like the white Walker show up is like, all right, well, we all have that. The merging for the common enemy, which was something that was done in army of darkness. Mm. So that would certainly be an interesting idea. You know, that's what you do in the third or fourth movie, but didn't quite get to that point. <laughs> like Leprechaun in Space? <laughs> uh, no, that's what I haven't seen, but, you know, you just say Leprechaun in Space and you know exactly what you're getting. <laughs> yeah, you, you can you can skip that one. Or not, I don't know. Maybe that's what you need in your life on the weekend. I, I don't judge. Thank you, Brad, for joining us for Minute 47. You can follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod. Also, our Facebook group, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout, which is going to come in very shortly, actually. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm